0: We will be in Ezra chapter 8 tonight. Ezra chapter 8. God is good. We know that. We say it all the time.
1: But there are those in the world who would not agree. God's favor does not rest upon all men. Now God is good regardless of man's opinion. But not everyone has the same awareness or the same experience of God's goodness. Now, obviously we want to, we want to know and we want to experience the goodness of God to the greatest extent we possibly can. Today, God's Word, we're going to see something, I think, that can help us. And here's what I want to show you tonight. It's those who seek God that find He's good. In Ezra chapter 8, it's really a continuation of the story we looked at this morning. This morning we saw Ezra got permission from King Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem and reestablish worship among the people of God in the temple. And so Ezra goes back with the priests and with the Levites and with the people to help, and they journey back, and they're going to reestablish worship there. We saw this morning how God's hand was upon Ezra, and he blessed Ezra by making the king favorable toward Ezra. The king sent Ezra back with everything he needed. and Blessed him. Well, this is a continuation of that same story. And as we see in chapter 7, we see again in chapter 8, the good hand of God is upon Ezra as he journeys back to Jerusalem. Now, this chapter records that journey for us. And it shows them actually arriving in Jerusalem. And the main idea of this text really comes in verse 22. Um, It says, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him. You see that? Verse 22, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him. That's the main idea here. Those who seek God
0: will find that He is good. I want to read part of this text. I'm not
1: going to try to read the whole chapter. I'm going to skip the first 14 verses. That's a list of names, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to begin reading in verse
0: 15. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days.
1: As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight. And I sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place casaphia telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place casaphia namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also, Hashabiah, And with him, Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, twenty, besides two hundred and twenty of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods,
0: The idea of seeking God, as it's described in this chapter,
1: is not seeking God for some specific answer. When we talk about seeking God, sometimes we think about seeking some specific direction from God about some problem or some answer to some question. Most of the time in the Bible, seeking God is not necessarily related to seeking for some specific thing. Sometimes in the Bible, seeking God just means seeking to know Him, seeking to serve Him, seeking to conform to His will, seeking to love Him. As we talked about this morning, seeking to know His heart and His mind and His will. So it's seeking God in a more general way, right? Seeking to know God, seeking to serve God. And that's the idea here. Those who seek God. Those who desire to know Him. Those who desire to serve Him. You might say it this way. Those who pursue God. Those who pursue Him. Pursue knowing Him. Pursue loving Him. Pursue serving Him. Pursue understanding His will and His heart and His mind for us. What we see here is God is good to those who truly seek Him. Which is what Ezra was doing in this chapter. And what I want us to notice primarily is how Ezra in this chapter is seeking God. I want you to notice what he's doing. The evidence of seeking God. Some of the signs of seeking. The first things I want you to notice, there are three signs of seeking God. God. Here's the fast first one. A passion for God's service. This is in the first 20 verses. Now, I want to point out verses 1 through 14. What you have is a list of those who went with Ezra from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Remember, We talked about this morning how King Artaxerxes sent Ezra back to Jerusalem, back to the land of Judah, to reestablish worship among the people of God in the capital city of Judah. And he sent a bunch of Jews with him, a bunch of the Israelite people. Well, what you see in verses 1-14 through is a list of all the people that went with Ezra back to Jerusalem, to reestablish worship. Now notice verse 15. Ezra says, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. There we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Now why is that important? There are no Levites. Well, Levites served as assistants to the priests in the temple. In other words, Levites were important in order to conduct worship. The Levites took care of the temple. They helped prepare the sacrifices. It was usually the Levites who would slaughter and skin the animals being prepared. They prepared the showbread the bread that was placed on the table in the presence of the Lord. They had a lot of duties like that. They weren't officially priests, but a lot of the actual work in the temple was done by the Levites, and they were critical to the proper operation of the temple. So if they didn't have any Levites, there'd nobody be nobody to do all these duties, and the worship of the temple would suffer. They weren't priests, but they were of the tribe of Levi, which means they were called to serve God in the temple. So, even though the people had been gathered together and camped for three days, Ezra refuses to move any further until Levites have been found who could serve in the temple. So in verse 17, Ezra has gathered some of the leading men and he sent them to a place called Casaphia, And he sent the message to Edo and to his brothers who were temple servants. And what did he send the message telling? him? Look, he said, send us ministers for the house of our God. In other words, send us some Levites. We need people who can help serve in the temple. Verse 18, by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali. Watch this, the son of Levi with his sons and his kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, with him Jeshiah and the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, 20, besides 220 of the temple servants. So here, what did he do? Ezra says, look, we're not going anywhere else till we get some Levites who can help us to serve so we can worship God properly, so we can serve God properly in the temple. So almost 40 Levites and 220 temple servants respond to to the call from Ezra to come. Now this is the leadership of Ezra. And what he demonstrates here is a passion to serve God and to worship God properly in the way that God would command. What I want you to think about is this. To seek God means to seek to worship Him as He would have us to. You understand? It wasn't enough for Ezra just to go through the motions of restarting the temple worship. No. He said, we got to honor God and serve God the way He dictated to us. That's part of seeking God. Seeking to worship God according to the way that He has given us to worship Him. Now, for you and I, as we think about serving and worshiping God in the way that He would intend for us to, seeking God by seeking to serve and worship Him rightly. One of the things that would mean for you and I is, is that we would have a passion for God-centered worship. What do I mean?
0: I mean the audience in our worship service is always who? Who's the audience? He is. You are not the audience. You are the
1: participants. You are not here to receive worship. You do understand that. You are here to offer worship. You are not a spectator. You are a participant. God is the one we are offering worship to. But you see, if you go to a lot of churches now, it seems a lot of what they do is intended to please the people, not so much God. But for you and I to truly seek God means We seek to please God in what we do in worship. That means we do the things in worship that God has given us to do, and we don't do the things that He has not given us to do in worship. In worship, we are instructed to sing, we're instructed to pray, we're instructed to give, we're instructed to read and preach and teach
0: the Bible, and those are the things that we do. So I want you to think about that. Seeking God. What do we mean by seeking God? We mean, first
1: of all, having a passion for God's service. For serving and worshiping God the way He intended us to. Now I want to show you a second aspect of seeking God that we see in Ezra. We see a dependence on God's care. verses 21 to 23, I want you to notice what Ezra does in verse 21. He calls the people to fast. In other words, he proclaims a time of fasting and prayer, humbling themselves before God. Look at verse 22. Well, it says there in verse 21, it tells us why. To seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. In other words, Ezra is fasting and praying because he wants God to protect him and the people and all of their possessions that they're bringing from Babylonia back to Jerusalem. Verse 22, look at it. I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. Verse 23, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and He listened to our treaty. I want you to watch this. He demonstrates a dependence on God's care. What do I mean? You notice it said in verse 22, it says He was ashamed to ask the king to send soldiers to protect them. See, He could have asked the king would you please send a band of soldiers to protect us and all of our possessions? Remember, the king had given them gold and silver and vessels for the temple that were real valuable, and they could be dangerous. They could be robbed or killed or ambushed or whatever. But he, he, So the king could have sent a group of soldiers to protect them. But Ezra said, I was ashamed to ask the king, To send soldiers to protect us. Why was he ashamed? He tells us, because I had already said to the king, the hand of God is for good on those who seek Him. He had already told the king, God's going to take care of us. We're seeking God, we're seeking to serve Him and do what's right, and He's going to take care of us. So he felt like if I asked the king to send soldiers, it's because somehow I don't trust God's going to take care of us. So he says, no, I'm not going to ask the king. What's he going to do? He says, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. Depending on God's protection. Another way we show that we're seeking God is when we depend on God. Not just when we have a passion to worship and serve Him the way He pleases. But when when we truly show we're seeking Him, when we show a dependence on Him, here they're depending on God for protection. But think about some other things we see in the Bible. Sometimes we see a dependence on God for provision. What about Genesis chapter 22? Abraham and Isaac are on the way up the mountain. God has told Abraham to sacrifice His son Isaac. And Isaac said to Abraham, We have the wood for the fire. Where's the burnt offering? In other words, where's the animal that we're going to slay for the burnt offering? Isaac didn't know God had told Abraham that Isaac was going to be the sacrifice. So Isaac looks around. Notice they didn't bring a sheep or a lamb or anything to sacrifice. He says, Hey, Pop, where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? The Lord will provide. And God did. He provided a ram caught in the thicket. And what did Abraham call the place? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. There was a dependence on God to provide what was needed. Think about David and Goliath. Here's also someone who's depending on God. What was David depending on God for? Strength victory in the face of an enemy that was far superior to him. Think about Esther. You remember there was a plot by Haman to have all the Jews killed. Esther was the king's wife. She was a Jew. And Mordecai said to Esther, you need to go before the king and ask him to help us so that we don't all die. But Esther knew that just to show up in front of the king could cost her her head. So she called for a time of fasting and prayer. What was she depending on God for when she set foot in the king's presence knowing it could cost her life? What was she depending on God for? She was counting on God's favor with the king. She was counting on God to give her favor. Listen, if we're truly seeking after God, to know His heart and His mind and His will, it's going to be reflected in the fact that we look to Him to care for us. No matter what the situation, or no matter what the nature of the need. We depend on God. When we give our tithe first, And you trust that God will not let your needs go unmet. That's depending on God's provision. In times of trial and hardship, you look to God's word for direction instead of looking to worldly wisdom. That's depending on God's care. You're trusting that God knows what's best for you, even if it's not what the rest of the world would advise. You're
0: depending on God to meet your needs, to give you direction. How are you going to respond when other people hurt you?
1: How do you respond in the midst of your difficulties in marriage?
0: You can depend on God... That's what seeking God is. I'm going to look to God
1: to tell me how to manage these relationships. I'm going to look to God to know how these needs should be met. I'm going to look to God to know how to handle this crisis. You're depending on God when you trust the promise of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Look, when you do that, when you claim that promise, when you make Becoming like Jesus, your priority. And you trust that God's going to take care of your needs. You're depending on God. You're seeking God. When we as a church stay true to the Word of God, despite all the pressure in the world around us, can I tell you,
0: We would get along a lot better in society if we would compromise what this book says. We'd be a lot more popular in the eyes of the people in
1: society if we would compromise our biblical convictions. We'd have a lot more people in this room if we were willing to compromise what the Bible teaches on some things. But what do we do when we stay true to the the Word of God? We're trusting that God is going to see us through, that God is going to have His will done through us. We're trusting God with the outcome, whatever comes. We're trusting God. We're not going to compromise. We're going to depend on Him. All of that's part of seeking God. When you depend on God in whatever the situation, that's part of seeking after God. There's a third way that this text illustrates a, a, a seeking after God. A concern for God's holiness. Here's where we come to verses 24 to 30. I didn't read all of this. But what we have here is, in verse 24, Ezra says, I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, ten of their kinsmen with them, and I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels and the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver vessels worth 200 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 100 derricks, two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. So here's all the valuables that they brought with them from from Babylonia back to Jerusalem. These are the valuables that were given for the house of God to provide for the worship of God. They had to be transported. Notice verse 24. He gives them to the priests to to transport. Why does He give these things to the priests to transport? Look at verse 28. I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites, the head of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. What's going on here? These offerings, the gold, the silver, and these precious vessels were holy. What does that mean? That means they had been dedicated They had been set apart to be used for the worship of God. Consecrated is another word we could use. See, the word holy just means separated from anything that is common. In other words, these things were dedicated for a special purpose. That purpose was the worship of God, which makes those items holy. So why does He make the priests carry them? Because the priests were also holy. The priests had also been dedicated to God. They had been separated from the common people and ordained and dedicated to the Lord's service. So the holy items and valuables were to be carried by holy people. Are you following what I'm saying?
0: The reason is not just a concern for the offering.
1: It's a concern for the holiness of God. Listen, Ezra does not want the things that have been set aside for worship of God to be treated as if they were common. He wants them to be treated with the care that they should be treated with. This offering had been given to the Lord. That means it belongs to the Lord. And if it belongs to the Lord, that means it is holy and it should be treated as holy. Think about this. A disregard for the holiness of God is one of the things that caused Israel to end up in slavery in the first place. Let me read you Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-six. 26. Israel's priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They've treated them as common. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean so that I am profaned among them. Understand, when we talk about seeking God, that involves a concern for His holiness. If we want to know God's heart, God's mind, and God's will, well, at the center of God's heart and His mind is, and His will is His concern for His own holiness. Here's what I mean. God
0: demands to be treated as God. When the Bible says God is a jealous God, that means He and He alone
1: is to be treated as God. You're not to treat somebody who's not God as if He were God. And God always demands that He be treated as God. God is not like people. He is completely separate and set apart from us. He is the very definition of what it means to be holy. And he refuses to be treated as common or profane or ordinary
0: or dirty. The Lord said to Moses,
1: Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Exodus nineteen ten through 12 What's that about? God is holy and those who are not holy do not dare approach God. You see what Ezra's trying to do when he wants to make sure the the things that have been set apart and made holy for the worship of God are treated with the reverence and respect that God's things should be treated with? He's concerned not about the things, It's about the purpose those things have been dedicated to, right?
0: Listen to me. This room that we sit in
1: is not sacred for any particular reason other than the fact that it has been set aside for the worship of God. It's the reason we have this building here that makes it sacred. It's because it has been set apart for a sacred purpose. We don't worship the building. Our concern is that God be treated as holy. And this place has been set aside for Him for His worship. How do you and I display a concern for God's holiness?
0: Let me suggest a couple of ways. One way is how we speak of God. First of all,
1: we obey the command not to use the Lord's name in vain. Now when we talk about using the Lord's name in vain, that's not simply using God's name attached to some vulgarity. That is using His name in vain, but that's not the primary instance when the Bible talks about using God's name in vain. Using God's name in vain means using it without a holy purpose. In other words, using God's name or speaking of God as if He were just another person.
0: Let me give you an example of using the Lord's name in vain. The man upstairs. God is not... The man
1: upstairs. You're talking about God as, as if He's just some benevolent grandfather that lives in the attic. First of all, God's not a man, period. We don't speak of God as if He were ordinary, as if He were common, or use His name in some unsacred fashion. My God. That's using the Lord's name in vain. That's not speaking of God with the reverence and respect that God deserves. In other words, when we speak God's name, we speak of Him as God, with the utmost of reverence and respect. And when you publicly speak of God, you speak of God in a way that others are going to see that you have the utmost of respect for God. What's that? That's a concern for God's holiness. Here's another way you can show a concern for God's holiness. By not tarnishing His name with your life. If you call yourself a Christian, you wear His name. You attach the name Christ to yourself. That means how you live and how you speak affects how people think of Him. Your life is a reflection of Him because you have the name Christ attached to you. How many of you had parents or grandparents that used to tell you, don't forget the name you carry? Right? Anybody tell you that? Don't forget who, whose you are. In other words, don't forget, for me, don't forget you're young and the way you act reflects on right, your parents and your grandparents. It's the same way. If you're going to call yourself a Christian then the way you live should bring honor to the name. It shouldn't tarnish it. See, we show up concern for God's holiness when we are careful to live in a way that shows God to be holy and not dishonors Him. I need to move on. The first thing we saw is signs of seeking God. Now, I told you the main idea here is that It's those who seek God who find out He's good. So we've seen the signs of seeking God. Now I want to show you glimpses of goodness. I want to show you how God's goodness was demonstrated to Ezra as he sought God. Verse 31. We departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. Here's where the journey from Babylon begins. The hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. There's the first way God's goodness was shown to the people. He did in fact protect them without the need of soldiers and an army. Another way God showed his goodness to the people was back in verse 18. He provided the Levites and the temple workers that they needed. Remember we talked about that? How they needed Levites to serve in the temple? Well, God provided them. God protected them. Verse 34, look what it says there. This is referring to, remember all the valuables, the gold and the silver and the vessels for worship that they were given? Verse 34, the whole was counted and weighed and the weight of everything was recorded. In other words, all of the valuables got where they were going without being tarnished, without losing any of them, without any of them being stolen. The cargo was delivered safely. Now remember, what is the ultimate purpose of the trip? To reestablish the worship of God in the temple. Look at verse 35. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. What are they doing? They're conducting worship. Do you see what's going on? They were sent back to reestablish worship. Now, what are they doing? They're worshiping. God has brought their mission to completion successfully. They are now doing what God sent them back to do. They have reestablished the worship and sacrifice in the temple. Listen, the point of this passage is very simple. When God's people truly seek after Him, they will always find that He is good. He is good. So what is our response?
0: Simple. To seek after God. To seek after God. We give ourselves... To seeking to know more of Him.
1: Through study and and reading and listening to preaching and and meditating on the Word of God. Through talking to Him in prayer. We we seek to know His will by bringing all of our needs to Him in prayer and and, and asking for His direction. We seek to, to, to honor Him by the way we live by doing the things that He's given us to do, living upright lives, telling others about Him, seeking to accomplish His mission in the world. Here's what I want you to see. To seek God means to give yourself to a vibrant living relationship with God. That's really what we're talking about. When we talk about, I'm seeking the Lord, Now, we can speak of seeking the Lord about something specific. I'm seeking the Lord's will about a decision I have to make. We we can talk of that way. But what I'm talking about here is just simply seeking to know Him better. Seeking to draw closer to Him. Seeking to, to look more like His Son. Seeking to have a greater fellowship with Him. Seeking to experience that vibrant relationship with Him. Listen, When you draw near to God, when you seek God that way, you're going to find He is good. You put yourself in a place where you can experience the goodness of God. When we begin to seek the heart and the mind and the will of God, we're nurturing that relationship with God. And as we focus on that relationship with God, God produces in us that passion for His service that Ezra had. God produces in us that dependence on His care that Ezra had. God produces in us that concern for His holiness. Those things don't come by our effort, they come by God's grace. As we simply draw near to Him in the best way we can, God does these things in us. And we find ourselves in a place where we're able to experience the goodness of God. And relish his goodness. Let's pray.